Good day to you, and welcome to Fascinating. I'm your host, Rick, from Planet Vulcan. My continuing mission on planet Earth, to search for signs of intelligence and to encourage its spread. Once again, winter is approaching in the mountains, where my little female earthling pal and I make our home, so we will be traveling to stay in a warmer place until the springtime. So let me say again a few words about what this Vulcan is trying to accomplish on planet Earth. Let me begin by reiterating something I said in the introductory podcast to this series. Vulcans in general believe that there is hope for Earth's civilization, while recognizing that civilization here could end rather badly, and soon, with great suffering and misery, if your societal evolution takes an unfortunate course. We want to help Earthlings learn how to make good choices about how to influence the course of societal evolution. And although no one can replace the evolved and evolving complex dynamical system within which they exist, with something designed and constructed, nature is amenable to cultivation. We see that most of you clearly have good intentions, and it saddens us to see that the things many earthlings want to do to put these good intentions into effect have virtually no possibility of succeeding. We would like to see earthlings hang on to these good intentions while learning to make better choices about what can and should be done and what doesn't need to be done to set societal evolution on a desirable course. The key to wisdom is an understanding of the lessons we can all learn from contemplating nature. A very basic first step towards realizing good intentions is to understand the difference between the concepts of structure and function. Many earthlings seem to believe that a societal structure can be first imagined and then created as if you are architects designing and constructing a building. We believe that earthlings would be better served by adopting a model where the goal is to focus your efforts on creating a society that functions effectively and efficiently based on fair play. Of course, you would then have to give up hope of acting as architects, which should not be difficult once you realize that nature will not allow you to succeed as architects anyway. Nature is organized around function and only incidentally around structures, which are always temporary. Imagine taking a snapshot of sea foam in a crashing surf, and then labeling the resulting photograph a structure. Societal evolution operates in a process that is analogous to the formation of sea foam, just a little slower. Earthlings are living in a fantasy world if you believe that, acting collectively, you can imagine a particular societal structure, force it into existence, and then maintain it indefinitely. You might as well say that you like a particular configuration of sea foam, and you intend to create that configuration and then maintain it indefinitely. Wouldn't Earthlings' efforts be more likely to be rewarded if you were to focus your attention on the processes that result in the ever-changing, evolving structures. 
In Season 2, we continued looking at specific topics that illustrate the difference between intelligent design thinking and evolutionary thinking. This exercise hopefully builds on the foundation laid down during Season 1, where we demonstrated how order in nature is something that emerges as a consequence of systemic behaviors and not as a design a consequence of design, construction, and enforcement. Episodes 2 and 3 of Season 1 develop these ideas. We kicked off Season 2 by explaining two basic concepts that are invaluable to anyone who is serious about understanding the evolutionary nature of the economic system as it currently functions in Earth's advanced and advancing economies. Property and value what they mean and how they fit in, and all the Eknarangi surrounding these concepts. Eknarangi, by the way, is a word that we Vulcans coined to describe widespread mistaken beliefs on planet Earth, what earthling Todd Rose describes as collective illusions. Eknarangi is ignorance spelled backwards, whereas ignorance is not knowing something that is true, Eknarangi is knowing something that is not true. A famous quote from eminent earthling humorist Mark Twain, echoed by economist Frank Knight and others, is, Ignorance ain't the problem. It's no one's learned much that ain't so. We examined the challenge of climate change on planet Earth and demonstrated how it would be futile to attempt to deal with this challenge using open-loop, top-down control. Even if you can figure out a way to apply widespread coercion. And even more so if you expect to count on the efficacy of pledges. Earthling's only chance of dealing with this challenge, either effectively or efficiently, lies with the use of some sort of pricing system that properly incentivizes individual action in a decentralized manner. Witness, for example, the confusion surrounding the current push for electric vehicle mandates. The solution to the climate problem is just too complex to be manageable if earthlings approach it in such a top-down manner. Do you honestly believe you can just legislate an entire support system into being for electric vehicles, all the way from the massive increase in electricity generation and transmission the manufacture of batteries, and the opening of charging stations. And all this is supposed to be ready to go when the deadline for buying non-electric vehicles is reached? This scheme does not have a snowball's chance in hell of succeeding. And even worse is a proposal that is currently popular with an alarming number of otherwise intelligent people. The idea that the use of Petroleum must come to an abrupt halt if earthlings are to avoid to avoid an imminent apocalypse, and that this program can be put into effect by such tactics as cutting off access to financial markets of any enterprise that is involved in the production and use of petroleum. It is only within ivory towers that such a scheme would ever be thought to make sense. Anyone with a toe in the real world should be able to see that the actual result of such a scheme 
would be massively destructive disruption of a chaotic character and an abysmal failure to do good. Earthlings have simply got to get over this idea that it is possible to envision a future state of affairs and then force it into being. You don't even seem to believe that anyone who is not prepared to employ drastic coercive measures, teeth in popular parlance, is serious about meeting the challenge. We hope that Earthlings with good intentions, and thankfully that is most of you, will get past this currently fashionable orgy of mutual congratulations about what nice people you are long enough to realize that good intentions will not be enough, no matter how much coercion you are prepared to employ. Instead of using mandates in an effort to impose a solution, earthlings must approach the challenge by providing the proper incentives for individual action, for example, the proposed universal carbon tax. Also, for example, there could be an expansion and rationalization of the infant market for tradable pollution rights. This proposal makes use of the insights provided by such pioneers as Ronald Coase and Harold Demzetz, who made seminal contributions to the concepts of social cost and to the evolution of property rights, which can naturally manage the balancing of competing interests if allowed to operate. For more about deep thinking on the concept of social cost, you might wish to review Episode 2 of Season 2. Again, it's not about structure, it's about function. If you create the functionality, the structures will take care of themselves. If you don't create the functionality, the structures will still take care of themselves, but you won't like it. We examined another common Eknarangi on planet Earth, which says that the average person is systematically being victimized by the rich, and showed first that this is an error which is based on invalid zero-sum thinking. We demonstrated some of the ways that the average person is generally better off and not worse off because of rich people, because most of them became rich by contributing value, and not by lying, cheating, and stealing as is so frequently supposed. We then moved on to a couple of essays about the adventure of embarking on a university education, with the suggestion of its huge rewards and with a few pointers about how to recognize attempts at intellectual fraud and people who try to recruit you to support them by presenting you with simple, easy-to-understand wrong answers to complex questions, and then offer what Martin Luther King used to refer to as half-baked solutions. Then came an essay that draws attention to a particularly intelligent earthling, Friedrich Hayek, whose ideas very much deserve to be spread. His important contribution was to apply evolutionary thinking to the study of economics, in contrast to the majority of economists who in the 20th century and beyond have believed in intelligent design and are always talking about how earthlings need to restructure things. Astonishingly, to Hayek himself and to everyone familiar with his work, he has been labeled a conservative, probably simply because he opposed the idea of economic planning. 
But his opposition was not based on a desire to preserve the old ways. It was based on his prescient recognition that economic planning would fail. He even went so far as to publish an essay titled Why I Am Not a Conservative, explaining how nonsensical the label was in his case. In a nutshell, he pointed out that conservatism is all about preserving stasis. And his ideas were about understanding and using evolutionary change. Evidently, the advocates of economic planning and or intervention simply lump everyone who opposes their plans on whatever grounds together in a camp that they label conservative, even though it is difficult to imagine a true conservative advocating evolutionary thinking, which is what Hayek was doing. We then talked about the overused tactic on planet Earth of straw man argumentation. Once you are onto this tactic, you will observe it happening frequently. We gave an example of a straw man argument with regard to the Smoke and Mirrors Trust Fund of America's Social Security System. The straw man argument we examined was that the pieces of paper that comprise the trust fund are safe investments. This argument sidesteps the true issue, which is that the net value of the fund is zero. The surpluses have all been spent and replaced with an illusion. We then raised the topic of trying to second-guess evolution based on the notion of evolutionary mismatch as it applies to your species. There is no doubt that the environment in which most earthlings now find themselves is quite different from the environment in which most of human evolution took place. And there is no doubt that some evolutionary mismatches have become evident. For example, the rampant obesity, which is becoming an increasingly prominent feature of earthlings, to whom nature has bequeathed a craving for high-calorie foods and who are now existing in a world where calories are so easily available. We discussed a proposed example of evolutionary mismatch currently making the rounds, which is the idea that people have evolved so that they care more for family and friends than they do for people they do not know. This generalization is certainly valid, but it is now being taken as evidence that evolution has failed earthlings, and that this facet of human nature is a deplorable accident, and that some sort of intervention is necessary to implement a higher morality, defined as caring equally for every human being on planet Earth. We have so far not been able to find any stated or published reasons for believing that this in truth is a higher morality, beyond simple blatant assertion that it is so. If there is, in fact, some deeper thinking going on here, please let me know. And an even larger question. Do you really believe that the typical child would be better off with everyone on the planet caring about them a little, or with a few people caring about them a lot? Nature is smarter than any of us or all of us, and we, earthlings and Vulcans alike, should adopt an attitude of humility rather than being so quick to adopt an attitude of we know better. We probably don't. Nature will deal with evolutionary mismatch in any case as it always does. While it is unlikely that nature will eliminate your species, 
natural evolution as well as cultural evolution will take place. And while it is folly to believe that humans can construct a system that will replace Earth's evolved and evolving system, nature does allow cultivation. For example, a burst of human creativity, scientific discovery, and technological innovation began on your planet 700 years ago. And it happened in a cultural climate that enabled the spread of the manufacturers that sprang from the new technology and the spread of the new technology itself to the eventual benefit of virtually all earthlings. A key part of the cultural climate was the creation and maintenance by government actions of the rule of law, defined property rights, and enforcement of contracts. In short, all the things that make long-term planning possible in the world of production and commerce. This example of the institution of government performing its legitimate functions well, while admittedly doing some other things badly, is one that should long be remembered. Witness that even with a much larger population, the number of those living in extreme poverty fell from most of the Earth's people to a relative handful. And ordinary people by the hundreds of millions now live lives of greater comfort and luxury than the nobles and even the royals enjoyed during feudal times. So our advice to earthlings is to approach the natural world of which you are a part with greater humility than you have so far displayed. Many earthlings seem to believe that there are no limitations to what they wish to do other than the limitations imposed by other human beings acting in opposition. Not so, however. Learning to recognize that some limitations are imposed by nature is the beginning of wisdom. We then examined the earthling concept of justice, noting that at this moment in Earth's history there exists no general agreement on the very definition of the word. Is justice defined as fair play, or is justice defined as equal outcomes? Earthlings need to resolve this dilemma before much progress in the direction of justice, whatever you eventually decide justice is, can reasonably be expected. In the final episode of the season, we examine the idea of forcible income redistribution as a means of achieving a more nearly equal distribution of income. The idea that equal distribution is the correct goal stems from the idea that everything belongs to everybody. It is also based on the notion that distribution is more than just a descriptive statistical term. It means that there is someone actually doing the distributing and that they are doing it unfairly. Contributing editor Mahalo Camilla took this concept and ran with it, finding two more promising areas where redistribution is called for. Forcible redistribution can ensure that bald men will be getting their fair share of the national love and that all the trees in the forest will be getting their fair share of the national sunlight. You can probably think of other problems of inequality that could be solved with redistribution. I thank you for the attention you are giving to my ideas and I hope that you will find many of these lessons from nature personally useful. 
Please remind yourself to have a look in the springtime for further podcasts in this series. As my Vulcan friends and I continue to observe your societies and further our mission to encourage the spread of intelligence on your planet. Contact me by emailing Senior Contributing Editor Prego Denada, pregodenada at gmail.com. Live long and prosper.